this weekend, I was hanging out with my small group, and we got into telling stories of how we met our spouses. And that's always a fun thing to do. And so I thought I would share, some of you probably know this story, the story of how Krista and I came to start dating. We had actually been friends for about a year, and you guys know, I, had, I was convinced that God had called me to be single. So, oh, hey, by the way, I hope my, my family's not watching online. Uh, hopefully not. Okay, anyway, uh, I thought God had called me to be single, and so Krista and I were friends, and I, this is a neat, amazing, beautiful Christian woman, but I'm not, not going to get married, so that doesn't matter to me. We'll just be friends. Uh, and then we left for summer break and came back, and my feelings had matured a little bit. And we were on a Thursday night at 11.30 p.m. playing a game of Ultimate Frisbee with 30 or 40 of our best friends, because that's what you do in college. And my friend Amin and Krista both went up for a Frisbee, and they collided pretty hard, and they came down pretty hard. Um, I ran up, of course, to catch the Frisbee, which I did. And then after catching the Frisbee, I checked on my two friends, and they were uh, actually bleeding somewhat profusely. And so it was uh, Krista from a cut over her eye and Amin from his chin. And so it was 11.30, 11.45 at night. There was no place to go but the emergency room, and I had a car. So I took them both to the ER. They both had to get stitches. And then a week later, uh, I made Amin get there on his own, but I took Krista back <laughs> to get her stitches out, and I held her hand as they pulled the stitches out, and then um, we, we left and went to my apartment complex, and we're walking around a lake outside my apartment, and I asked her out, and she said yes, and then I put a nose ring in her nose and gold shekels on her arms, and <laughs> then we started dating. It was really great. I... I, I I love this story in Genesis 24 because it feels like that kind of story, right? It feels like a how you met your spouse kind of story, but it's kind of a weird story in that regard. I mean, you, you notice as we read this long story in Genesis 24, I mean, Rebecca is a pretty important character, and her brother and her parents are kind of important, and, and clearly the servant is super important. Isaac is almost irrelevant in this story, isn't he? I mean, Isaac is totally passive. It's, it's Abraham, not Isaac, that sends the servant out to find a wife. Isaac is just kind of sitting at home, and the servant shows up and says, hey, I brought you somebody you're going to marry. And he's like, okay, you know, and, and that's it. That's his whole role. I mean, Rebecca gets to say yes or no. Rebecca is really important. Isaac is just, well, he's a minor, minor character. Uh, and, and as I realize how unusual a love story that is, uh, eventually I came to realize this isn't a love story at all, or, or maybe I should say this isn't a romantic love story. This is a love story, but it's not about romantic love. It's about a different kind of love that the servant keeps talking about in this chapter. It's about uh, a, a word in, in Hebrew, chesed, which means steadfast love, or covenant faithfulness, or loving kindness. So, uh, when you say chesed, you have to sound like you're going to throw up a little bit. Chesed. Everybody say chesed. 
Chesed, yeah. I'm going to say Hesed because it's annoying to talk like that all the time, but um, you guys can sound intelligent when you talk to somebody who knows Hebrew. Chesed. Chesed or Hesed is a word that shows up 247 times in the Old Testament. It's an incredibly important word, about 120 times in the book of Psalms. It shows up four times in our passage. Every time it shows up in our passage, it's, it's said by the servant. And you kind of get the idea that maybe from hanging around his master Abraham, he's heard this idea a lot. Hesed, chesed is this quality that is usually but not always attributed to God, God's covenant faithfulness, God's steadfast love to us. Uh, and so we're going to recognize this is a story not about romantic love, it's a story about covenant love, covenant faithfulness, the steadfast love of God, and how we can share it. So, I, I want to unpack this love story um, by focusing on, I, I think, the three major characters in it. None of them are Isaac. We're going to talk about the servant. We're going to talk about Rebecca, and we're going to talk about Rebecca's family and, and Laban, her brother, okay? And every one of those, I want to talk a little bit about how this word, hesed, shows up. So, first let's talk about the servant. The servant is this amazing character. He's nameless. We don't know who this is. There's a guy named Eliezer of Damascus that Abraham mentioned like earlier in the book. Maybe that's this guy. All we know is he's really, really old, and he's been with Abraham for a really, really long time. And he has a single-minded focus on the Lord, on Yahweh. He talks about Yahweh all the time. He keeps coming back to the Lord and saying, um, Abraham has been blessed by the Lord and I've been blessed by the Lord. And every time something good happens in his life or in his master's life, he gives God the credit. And then when he shows up in this foreign land, and by the way, it'd be fun to talk about this some other time, but you know, this, there's no Google Maps at this point. They don't even have that ancient technology that some of you who are really old remembered called MapQuest, right? They, they, there, there's no AAA to get a, a printed map. There's no compass. So getting from Canaan to the city of Nahor is no easy task. It just happens, right? The story just skips over that part. Uh, and then he gets there, and he doesn't know how to find the family he came to find, right? It's a whole city. Again, they haven't invented street numbers or house numbers or street names yet. And so, how does he find Abraham's family? Uh, by the way, it's been, we don't know, between 50 and 100 years since Abraham left, right? So, a few things may have changed. And so, the, the servant says this prayer. It's a really interesting prayer. Uh, so, this is in uh, chapter 24, verse 12. He says, O Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Show hesed to my master Abraham. And then he concocts this plan about drinking and the camels and the water. We'll come back to that. And then he ends by saying, by this I will know you have shown steadfast love, hesed, to my master. Okay, so uh, the servant here is exemplary. He's wonderful. But we need to take a, a brief excursus and talk about the, the problematic nature of his request to God. Okay, so he basically says, hey, God, I'm going to give you a formula that you need to follow, okay? If a woman comes and she offers me water and she offers to water my camels, that's going to be the woman I'm supposed to take home to Isaac. And it works great in this story. 
but it's not normally a good way to operate as a Christian on a regular basis, okay? So, I want to strongly encourage you to not apply this tactic in your regular life. Uh, and actually, I, I think we recognize that even in Scripture, this is not normal. This is done by a servant of Abraham before they have the Torah, before they have the law of Moses that tells them how to follow God. We get a few other stories like this. There's one about Gideon and the fleece. You guys remember Gideon and the fleece? And kind of a similar idea, God, I've got this crazy plan. I want you to do just this to prove it's really what you want me to do. Um, but even then, it's a weird story, right? We get the, I mean, Gideon's families are pagan, and we get the impression that Gideon doesn't know Torah and isn't the best follower of Yahweh. Now, in general, asking God to jump through hoops for you is not a good idea, right? Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, and we've had a lot of examples of people trying to put the Lord their God to the test over the years. Um, you know, hey, how do we find out if she's a witch? Well, we, we throw her in the river, and if she dies, then she was guilty, and if she survives, then God saved her. Not a great system is all I'm saying. Uh, so, uh, in general, don't ask God to jump through hoops for you, but do ask God to show hesed. Do ask God to show Hesed. This is what the servant gets so right. He says, God, you have been covenant faithful to my master. I just want you to keep doing that. God, you've made a promise. Keep your promise. This is the root of, of, of so many of the right kind of prayers in our lives. We simply go to God and say, God, you made a promise. Keep your promise. Be faithful. Be who you are. Be God to me. On Wednesday night uh, for Ash Wednesday, I talked about Psalms of Lament, and I talked about this idea that sometimes we offer God prayers because we haven't seen Him be hesed yet, right? We're waiting on God to follow through on His promises, and that's huge. Um, but sometimes we need to be reminded to remind God to be hesed. So, two weeks ago, we had the privilege of celebrating a couple of baptisms for adults in our church, and their request was to be baptized by immersion. And so, after worship, we went over to Bethany Baptist Church, and uh, Raymond and Jessica um, were, were dunked in the pool by, by yours truly. It was a really special experience and very memorable. Um, it's particularly memorable because the water, I think, was like 33 and a half degrees. And so I got in there, and I only have to get up this wet, and I lost my breath, and I thought, you're never going to forget this. Um, and they won't, yeah. Um, but at our baptism, God makes a promise to us. Right? He promises that we will be His daughter, His son forever, that nothing that we can do ever takes that promise away from us. And in those most difficult moments of your life, in those moments where you're wondering if you can really be forgiven for what you've done, in those moments where you're wondering how God could ever make right the mess that you have made of your life, in those moments where you're wondering um, if anyone could ever respect or care or love for you again, you come back to this promise at your baptism and you say, God, be hesed to me. Be faithful to your promise. Martin Luther had um, incredible struggles with the idea that he was unworthy to serve God as a pastor or a priest in the church. And he would come in to the sanctuary at all hours of the day and go up to the baptismal font, dip his hand in the water, and throw water on his head and say, I am baptized. I am baptized. I am baptized. 
in the midst of all of the mess of my life, I cannot lose God's covenant faithfulness to me. That's what this servant does so well. He says, God, be faithful to your promises. Be faithful to me. Be faithful to my master. Keep us in your family. Okay, then we get Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is such an interesting character in the story. And um, we're told when she shows up that she is, um, the, the language sounds good for looking very. So she's an attractive young woman. Um, but remember, in Hebrew, good is tov, right? And um, looking good to the eyes has been a challenge in the Bible so far. Usually, when someone looks good to the eyes, there's a problem. But in this situation, Rebecca actually seems good, right? Not just good to the eyes, which isn't that important, but good. And so she has this incredible hospitality um, that she extends to the servant. She gives him water. That's kind of to be expected. That'd be a reasonable thing to ask. But then she says, hey, let me water your camels. Okay, so fun fact. Anybody remember how much water a camel can drink? It's, it's about 20 to 25 gallons, right? When a camel drinks, 20 to 25 gallons. There's 10 camels, um, she has a jug, that typical jug of this time maybe has three gallons of water in it. So she, we're told she runs to the well. She runs to the well 70 to 100 times and lowers her pitcher down and pulls it up um, by her own arm strength and dumps it in the trough. This is an unbelievable amount of work. This is a wild act of hospitality to a stranger. In the midst of this, we're told, um, not only is she um, caring for strangers and caring for animals and a lover of hard work and kind and compassionate, we're told she's chaste and, and faithful, and, and all these um, adjectives are thrown on her, and we get this sense, wow, this is an amazing, special woman. And, and the servant gets that idea, and so he says, tell me about your family. And she says, oh, I'm from um, the family of Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. And the servant says, ah, because of you, I see God's hesed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forgotten, forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. See, not only do we pray and ask God to be hesed to us, sometimes we have the privilege in our lives of, of being a way that other people see God's hesed. See God's covenant faithful love. There are so many people in our family of faith that do this so well. Um, I was thinking about one particular friend in our church this week, uh, a friend who has a real heart for the poor and for the stranger and for the needy who's been all around the world, who's been with us to Nicaragua and to Haiti. She's been to India. She's been, I don't even know where else in the world. She's been Milwaukee and Chicago. Uh, this friend in our church has been involved in all kinds of local missions, maybe every local mission we do. Um, but I think what's so extraordinary to me about this, this sister in Christ is uh, the way that she practices kind of the hospitality of Rebecca. I mean, she has brought people into her home. She has um, children in all these countries in the world that call her mom in Spanish and Creole and Arabic and who knows how many other languages. Her friends are equally likely to be in their 70s or in their 20s to be Christian or non-Christian, but all of them experience in her life a feeling of being family. That just as 
God and His covenant faithfulness claims us as daughters and sons, so sometimes we get to reflect God's hesed to those around us so that they begin to see the love of God and experience what it means to be in the family of God. That's what Rebecca does so powerfully in this story. Uh, and in so doing, she mirrors Lot and Abraham and all of the great heroes of our story so far. So we have the servant who invokes God's hesed. We have Rebecca who reflects God's hesed. And then we get this weird section about Laban. Laban is Rebecca's brother and Rebecca's parents. So the servant tells everything that happened. He just repeats it verbatim to Rebecca's family. And then he says, verse 49, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master. He says, if you will do hesed to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. So I may turn either to the right hand or to the left. The question is, can people be hesed like God is hesed? Sure, we can reflect God's faithfulness, but can we do that kind of steadfast love for others that God does for us. Oh, gosh, this is such an interesting moment in this story. I would love to spend some time talking about Laban. We don't have time. Um, but next time we meet Laban, he's not going to be a good guy. Next time we meet Laban, we're going to say, wow, this guy like, isn't even necessarily a worshiper of one God. But here he says, blessed are you, um, of the Lord, of Yahweh. And then in verse 50, after they hear the story, Laban and Betuel, that's Rebekah's dad, say, the thing comes from Yahweh, from the Lord. We cannot speak to you anything bad or good, rav or tov. Look, Rebekah's before you. Take her and go. So just remember, the whole story of the Bible so far has been um, God made us to be in relationship with Him, to trust Him, to love Him. And we screwed up. And the way we screwed up was we said, God, we have a better idea of what's good and bad, what's tov and ra, than you do. And so instead of trusting what you think is good for us, we're going to make our own decisions about what's tov and what's ra. And here we have this family out of the blue who says, this is from Yahweh. We don't get to tell Yahweh what's tov and what's ra. We just do what Yahweh says. Holy moly, like why aren't they the chosen people, right? Let's get rid of Abraham and Isaac, who I'm not very impressed with, and let's bring on Nahor and his family. I mean, this is the response that we've been looking for throughout the whole story of Scripture, right? We don't get to tell God what's good and bad. He tells us. Here, Rebecca's before you. Take her and go. And so, in this moment, um, we get this idea uh, that, that Nahor and his family... I'm sorry, uh, uh, Nahor's grandchildren, Laban and his family, are choosing to be hesed to another, choosing to exemplify the steadfast love, the covenant faithfulness that God has for us, for other people. And the idea here is that we, with God's help, can be hesed to others. I, I heard a story a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, um, we had a mission committee meeting and uh, ministry and our community was coming in to ask for support. And um, when they came, their, their leader came, was a, a gentleman named Yao Yang that, that I know. 
And Yao told his story, and I don't think I'd ever heard his whole story before. Yao is a Hmong American, and Yao's family obviously was born in Vietnam, and after the Vietnam War, you know, the Hmong people supported the United States. When we left, they were in sort of dire straits, and so uh, Yao's parents and his three oldest siblings um, literally fled Vietnam through the jungle to try to get to a refugee camp in Laos. And on that journey from Vietnam to Laos, all three of his older siblings died. He survived because he was still in the womb. He was born in the refugee camp. And then at some point later, churches in the Wisconsin area helped pay for his family to get out of Laos in the refugee camp and come and live in Wisconsin. He has both a deep love for the country that he now lives in and also for um, the, the church that made it possible for him to be here. Uh, and so Yao tells the story of how when 9-11 happened, he enlisted and went and served in Iraq for a year and a half and saw friends die. And in the midst of um, serving in Iraq, he made a promise to God. He said, if you get me home safe, I will give the rest of my life in your service. God did get him home safe. And Yao came back and finished school and became a teacher in the D.C. Everest School District. And about 10 years after he came back from Iraq, he had a, an encounter with God where God said, hey, you made a promise that you haven't really been fulfilling. And Yao said, you're absolutely right. Uh, and Yao started a church. It's called The Cross. Uh, it's in Wausau, and it's a Hmong slash European-American church intentionally, um, and it's a beautiful community of people. Uh, and he really found that he had a heart for people in his church, and that his church really effectively reached out to people who were um, in crisis, the folks that had been incarcerated or addicted or homeless. And he began to realize that he wanted to do more for those people than just be their pastor. And so, Yao started a ministry um, that is just getting off the ground now called the Gospel TLC, Transformative Living Community, and it's an 18-month um, long-term housing facility for folks who have incarcer been incarcerated or been addicted or are homeless to, to bring their life back to God and get their life back on track with God. And all of this comes because Yao has this deep conviction that God has been hesed to him, and not only does he need to reflect God's hesed, he needs to to extend God's hesed to others. He wants to be faithful to the people that God has placed in His path. And I think this is the call of the church. The call of the church is to be hesed to those that the world is kind of done with, to be hesed to those that maybe don't deserve forgiveness, to be hesed to those who um, are not doing what we think people should do to earn our grace, who don't know God or live far from God. It's, it's the call to become a friend of the unfriended, to welcome the stranger, to invite others into our family and say, we know God's covenant love, and so we want you to know it too. And that's really what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, right? He says, um, I want to be the servant in Genesis 24. I want to be the servant. I want to go out and find people and bring them to my Lord. And that's our call. Our call is to ask for God's covenant faithfulness, to reflect God's covenant faithfulness, and then when we can, to live it out 
with those around us. And to remember that we're not called to be successful, we're just called to be faithful. We're called to be hesed, as God has been hesed to us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.